the brain is actually changeable, uh, that it actually creates new brain cells. It used, they used to think it didn't create new brain cells. And so um, it, you, can, you can rewire your brain. You can change the configuration in your brain. And it's called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity, and you know, the short form explanation of it is that it's the way a change in experience changes the very structure of your brain, which then begs the question, well, what changes your experience? And it's not, uh, it's not determined so much by the outside. It's much more determined by the inside. And it's determined by your attitude. Your attitude is what determines the, the experience of life you have. And it's as simple as if you're an optimist, you know, you, you, have a, you have a happier time of it. If you're a pessimist, you have a miserable time of it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mental and Purpose podcast. Look, the mission, you know it. If you're a regular, if you're not, here's the mission elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve men to be on purpose. And here's the other thing I want to add to that. To be on purpose in order to live the most fulfilling, authentic, and regret-free life possible, right? Let's add that. But you can add whatever you want to the end of your mission. That's the coolest part. And if you, if you haven't already joined our Men on Purpose Facebook community, you need to because today, well, not today by the time the episode comes out, but uh, June 10th, if you go back June 10th, 2021, I, uh, I did an hour masterclass on constructing, figuring out, writing out and determining your mission for this world. I know it sounds big and it is because with that mission and that mission statement, you literally can make every decision as purposeful and intentional as possible. So if you haven't already join that mental purpose, Facebook community, get in there is free right now. It won't be free forever, but everybody that's in now is going to be grandfathered in because we're, we're growing like crazy, just like this podcast. So hit that up. And if you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to the mental purpose podcast. And if you need anything help coaching wise, you want to come to our, one of our live front runner events, our, uh, our personal involvement retreats, our weekend retreats. You can just hit up ianlobos.com or frontrunner.group. Find everything you need to know. Now, let me tell you about our guest because he blew my freaking mind. I mean, I do personal development coaching at a very high level for a living. And I wrote two pages of notes. Like half of them for me, half of them for you, for the show. I mean, all of them are for you really. But God, the guy was blowing my mind. He was so succinct. I'm not even going to go into all of it. it. The guy blew my freaking mind. So let me tell you about him real quick, and we're getting right into it, all right? Don Joseph Gowany. I hope I say that right. Gowie. Don is the executive director of the Center for Spiritual Exchange. He's the author of the Amazon bestseller, End of Stress, a Four Steps to Rewire Your Brain, which is based on breakthroughs in neuroscience that facilitate the shift in mindset that changes brain structure to quiet stress reactions and amplify the higher brain function that predicts greater success and happiness in life. Right? <laughs> Mind blown again. Listen to that last line. Listen to the last line. I know you can rewind, but I want to do this. So it quiets stress reactions and amplifies the higher brain function that predicts greater success and happiness in life. That's what we're going to talk about today. So here you go. Enjoy the ride. This is Don Joseph Galway. I hope I'm saying that right, Don. But it was an absolute pleasure. You guys are going to love this. Have a good one. Okay, so psycho spirituality. We got some technical difficulties, but we keep we power through. Um, 
Psycho spirituality, I feel like I know what it is. And I'm now second guessing myself. So tell us about this because it's, you know, it, I, I love reading your bio. It's, it's such interesting stuff because the, the people have to grow. If they don't grow, if they don't get out of their own way, they're, they're not as productive or as they could be or not a productive at all. And you take this over. It's, it's, this one's your show. Sure. The, well, you know, psychospirituality um, represents a convergence of um, three forces in our society that uh, used to work against each other, but now are on the same page with each other. And that has to do with the field of psychology, uh, psychotherapy, uh, the field of neuroscience, and spirituality. And when I say spirituality, I don't necessarily mean uh, religion. I certainly don't exclude it, but it's, it's practical spirituality. It's about fulfillment, what it is about uh, the way we go about our lives that, that leads to fulfillment. And um, it's, a, it's a really powerful field. Uh, and you see, uh, it shows up a lot in the press as mindfulness, but it's really this convergence of uh, all three of these fields. And the neuroscience part is the, the last one to come to the party. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's really an important part because it's basically, you know, when you ask the, somebody the question, why am I unhappy? Why am I miserable? Um, uh, you know, the answer to that is it's the way society wired you the way it wired yeah. your brain and it used to be the thought that once you get wired in a particular way that was set for life so you know the first couple of years of your life uh, whatever traumatic events happened to you or whatever beautiful events happened to you it was going to set the course of your brain the the course that your brain was going to take you in well then that what they discovered is that the brain is actually changeable uh, that it actually creates new brain cells. It used, they used to think it didn't create new brain cells. And so um, it, you, can, you can rewire your brain. You can change the configuration in your brain. And it's called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity, and you know, the short form explanation of it is that it's the way a change in experience changes the very structure of your brain which then begs the question, well, what changes your experience? And it's not, uh, it's not determined so much by the outside. It's much more determined by the inside, and it's determined by your attitude. Your attitude is what determines the, the experience of life you have, and it's as simple as if you're an optimist, you know, you, you, have, a, you have a happier time of it. If you're a pessimist, you have a miserable time of it. And, uh, and it turns out that, well, what... What actually wires the brain um, most effectively in, in, in a positive way is, is living according to some practical spiritual principles. And so that's where you get psychology, spirituality, and neuroscience uh, converging to help us evolve and move our lives out of the suffering that we've been programmed into living. Yeah, that's I've never heard it put that way. This like three rivers mixing, you know. Like I think about I think about it's Pittsburgh. Exactly what it is. Yeah, like three rivers mixing. Yeah, I wrote a book on it. It's called The End of Stress, and it's it's all about this uh, emerging neuroscience, yeah. and um, it's fascinating. But that's you know you can get wired for fear, 
or you can get wired for love. Yeah. And um, you get wired for love, your life is going to be amazing. You get wired for fear, you're going to suffer. That's so true. There's, um, there's, there's so many things that come up for me. One of which was when you were talking, it's, it's almost like it's not society, but it's like marketing companies, product placement companies, things like that. They're working against you. When you said the outside versus the inside, you know, we talk about that all the time on this show and, and in my coaching practice and, and in the live events that we do, which is if there are, if everything's coming from the outside to stimulate you, you're going home at night and you're popping some pills or some drinks to calm you down to get to sleep. And then in the morning you're revving back up and you got, you, you're, you're out, you're all external. Then the world is winning against you because you're just a, you're a victim. Even if you're not a victim and you're maybe called, quote unquote successful in your bank account, you're, you're not, you're not actually successful in the rest of your life. You're being controlled by outside forces. You know, I read this book called mindsight. Um, Daniel, uh, I forget, I forget the person's name, Daniel, somebody. Um, and it was all about neuroplasticity. Daniel. Um, I'm going to find it while the next time you're talking, I'm going to find it and tell people, but it, it was all about neuroplasticity. And I never, I never thought that the brain couldn't do that. I just didn't know the brain could rewire. Like they talk about in that book, it was a thick book. And I, I was like 12 hour audible, but why is it that people just understand or maybe hear that this work is out there, that the possibilities of them changing are out there, but they don't take action on it. They don't do anything about it. Why do they want to stay in that miserable existence inside of them using the external to change their state, to change their mood, to change their mind versus actually like hitting the problem at its root or at its source? Well, you know, for most people, it's it's that they haven't suffered enough. Mm. You know, suffering has a has a yeah, purpose. Um, it's to wake us up. And um, it, it, for for some of us, like me, for example, but take me like 30, 35 years ago, um, I I uh, I was stubborn. I didn't wake up. You know, I was uh, I was I was motivated by the outside. You know, one of the the things about we human beings is that um, we, we're very malleable. We get programmed. And if you look around, if you want to see well, what's the prevalent program that's operating that we're, we're subjected to, um, you'll find that, that it's, it's a program that lead, that's guaranteed to lead to, to our being unhappy. You know, it's hard to find a completely happy person, completely happy person, it's like 4% of the population. And the irony is that we were born happy. We were born free, but we've been trapped. We get trapped in limited thinking. We're born with an open heart that stress and fear so easily closes. We um, were born gifted, very gifted beings capable of, of incredible possibility, um, beings of immeasurable worth, but we often feel we're not good enough. We're often caught in, in shame reactions. And, and on top of all of that, you know, there is a divinity of joy within us, surrounding us, that's there to make our lives meaningful and beautiful and rich, to guide us forward. But we've become blocked 
from seeing it. It's almost as if we, you know, we've been, <laughs> it's like we've been dragged up on stage <laughs> by a hypnotist and we've been hypnotized to see what's not there and not see what is there. And so, well, where, where is that hypnosis coming from? It's coming from society. Society programs that natural state of happiness and joy right out of us, stamping into us the belief that happiness and self-worth are found mm -hmm. out there in the world. Um, and if we work long and hard, you know, success will come. And out of that, happiness and fulfillment will follow. And, you know, we've all followed that, swallowed that formula. And, you know, 10, 20 years later, we in the middle of a midlife crisis because we realize that success has come without fulfillment. Tony Robbins says, uh, success without fulfillment is the ultimate yeah. failure. Yeah. It is. It's failing life. So waking up, we got to wake up. We got to wake up from that hypnosis that we're in. And waking up is the realization that contrary to what society has taught us, nothing but absolutely nothing of the world can make us happy. Success, you know, is important, of course, but success is not the same as fulfillment. Fulfillment doesn't come from the world, and we got to get that straight. And it takes it takes a while sometimes for for us to get it straight. Happiness doesn't come from the world. Not the radiant happiness of a child, you know, that's constant and makes you smile for no reason. Happiness comes from within. And the truth is, there's not a single moment in our life when we don't have all we need to be happy. And the only reason we're ever unhappy. The only reason we're ever stressed is because we're focusing on what we don't have rather than on what we have right here, right now. And in this new book uh, from Anthony DeMello, Stop Fixing Yourself, that I assembled, you know, from his works. Yeah. DeMello died back yeah. in 1987. Um, but I assembled this from from his archive. It's, it helps you rediscover that truth about yourself. That you know you're you're happy already, you just don't you're not right. in touch with it. You're you're at peace already. You just don't know it. You're surrounded by joy that your eyes would open up to if the veil would ever lift. The veil of your programming would ever lift, um, yeah. but you can't see it because you're blocked from it. But it's still there. And what that means is you're not broken. You're not some problem to be solved. That's what it means. Stop fixing yourself. You're okay. And if there's a problem, it's the way that you were programmed to believe that without something or some person or some result, like a lot of money, we can't be happy. And it's a false belief. You don't acquire or earn happiness. You have it already. So drop that false belief that I can't be happy without this or that. And your struggle with the world drops. Peace arises all by itself. Happiness arises all by itself. And suddenly you're beholding how utterly blessed you are in your life, just with everything exactly the way it is, including your problems. They're, your problems are there to, yeah. to help wake you up. So the choice of the human is to lift the veil. That's it. Like I think people find it's, 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 it's this daunting task to get out of the compounded programming that we're, we're faced ever since we, we have cogniz you know, like cognizant recognition or, or uh, conscious recognition, let's say, well, like two years old, three years old, or maybe, maybe earlier than that. Maybe the brains were already wiring earlier than that for fear. But like, like you said, the heart is this, 
beautiful thing and it just gets overloaded and compounded. And I mentioned this sometimes and it, it, um, yeah, it reminds me of the story of Michelangelo's David. And I, I talk about this all the time in, in my live events. And it's like the way that I equate people. And I want to get your take on this is that when Michelangelo was asked, how did he create the David? He said, I didn't create the David. I just chipped away the pieces of marble that weren't David. He was already there. And that's kind of like what I feel I had and maybe you had in the past, which was I had all these pieces of armor and marble and stuff on me that weren't me. And my work was not to change myself. My work was just to go back to the authentic me and actually find that guy in, in amongst all the rubble that was piled on top of me. And so the work was to lift the veil or to break the pieces off of me through personal development, through fear casting and other exercises to just reveal me because I was already there. What, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's a beautiful image. Really yeah. a beautiful image. I love that. <laughs> you know, um, as you look, you need you, to lift the veil, you need to uh, get in touch with the veil. You need to understand how it's, it's functioning within you. And as you look at the way that you've been put together, essentially, um, if you look at the way you've been put together and the way that you function in the world, you'll, you'll find that inside your brain, there's a whole program, society stamped into it, that wired your brain with a set of demands about how the world should be, how you should be, and what you should want. You know, in, in, in a kind of uh, superficial way, it's like you get you get programmed into, I have to succeed, I have to make a lot of money, I have to be famous, all of this kind of stuff. It puts this incredible pressure on you, and it gets wired into your brain. And then what happens is, as you go through life, life is full of ups, ups and downs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, when you look out at, at your life and you see... It's not as the way I was told it should be. I'm not the person I should be. I don't have the things that I should want, you know, to have. It's all going down the drain. That's the fear of failure. And the fear of failure is really strong in, in people in our society. And it's imperiously insisting that it's, the, you know, that our, these demands society stamped into us get met by life by people, other people, by you. And if the demands are met, your brain allows you to feel some elation, some self-satisfaction, but it's very short-lived because before you know it, that fear of failure comes back up. Like, how am I going to keep this money that I've made? How am I going to keep this reputation that I've, that I've put together? How am I going to keep the people in my life happy? All the th balls you're trying to keep up in the air. And of course... We're living in a world where the the law is impermanence. So you know that sooner or later, whatever whatever the world begrudgingly gave you, it's going to take it away. Totally. So if your demands aren't met, even though it's no fault of yours, it's just the nature of things, your brain generates negative emotions that cause you to suffer. So in short, society has trained us to upset ourselves. For instance, when other people don't live up to our brain's expectation, it torments us with anger, you know, frustration, bitterness. Um, if when we fail at something, it torments us with uh, the fear of disconnection, the fear of being fired. All, you know, it goes goes on and on like that. And so, it's 
that's the veil. And so the question then becomes, um, what do I need to do to change that? And what Anthony DeMello is saying in this book, Stop Fixing Yourself, uh, he's, you know, he said people, the one question he got asked the most was, what do I need to ch do to change this? And DeMello said, I got a big surprise for you. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> the problem with most people is that they're so busy trying to fix things inside themselves that they don't really understand. Part of the reason we don't understand this veil, this block that blocks us from the life that we were born to live is that we push it away. We, you know, that neg those negative feelings that come up, those fears that come up, that shame that comes up. We don't want any part of it. We push it away. We try to turn it into something else. And we don't really embrace it. We reject it. Uh, we run from it. Um, and as a result, we stay stuck in it. It's sort of like it comes. It's sort of like the re, the, the 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 problem of how we're blocked from the love that's in our hearts. It it comes in the front door to talk to us to let us know what's going on. We push it out, and it just comes back through the back door and smacks us in the back of the head. So what? So if you're not if 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 the the message from DeMello is stop trying to fix yourself. You don't understand it. You, you have to come in, you have to get in touch with it. What, so then the question becomes, what do I do? Yeah. And what DeMello is saying, what psychotherapy is saying, what neuroscience is saying, it's enough for you to simply be watchful and aware of what's, what got stamped into you, of how your brain got wired for this unhappiness, for this life of upset, for this life of never feeling like you're enough. Through awareness, all that falseness, all that neurosis will drop. But you got to bring it, it takes a certain amount of courage. I often tell people the first thing that they may need to be aware of is that they're, they're afraid to find out. Yeah. So don't be afraid of being afraid. And But that's how we get deprogrammed. That's how we rewire our brain is through awareness. And DeMello De gives us a very specific way of approaching that that isn't really about anything you do. It's, it's a way of be, being with yourself. And in particular, being with yourself in terms of uh, getting in touch with those negative feelings and those negative reactions that you're having. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned. I wrote down like six things when you were talking because there there's so many cool things I want to ask you. Um, you talk about sort of the primal fears that we're already born with, you know, fear of uh, falling, fear of being outcast. Uh, those are big. You know, those are really big. I mean, I think people, you know, in high school and college, I mean, I, I know people now that are in their 40s that are that couldn't they, they couldn't be any. They, they are, they're so far from the authentic version of them and they are miserable, but they will never not fit in. And it's like, wow, OK, so there's a primal fear in there, but. Is it compounded by manufactured fears based on your programming and everything? Is that what we're talking about here? Is like we have primal fears that are instilled in the wiring of the brain before society kind of and parents in school and all the crap gets a hold of you. And then all of a sudden you start manufacturing things to live up to those primal fears. Or is it just a mix of both and it's all running wild inside of you? Well, it's not a matter of living up to those primal fears. You know, the, or I mean, avoiding them. The avoiding. stress response, avoiding yeah. them. Yeah. Um, the, the primal fear thing you're talking about, 
we we have an emotional brain and um it's fully developed in a human being by the age of two and um so that part of the brain is um fight flight or freeze and it's 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 an incredible system when we are confronted with a real and present danger like you know you run across a a grizzly right. bear or a rattlesnake or you get into a car accident or you're falling you know you're like you were saying the fear of falling in that situation uh this an exquisite uh powerful reaction happens in you that's triggered by your brain it gives you kind of makes you a, a superman a superwoman for about five minutes um and uh and it get it can get you out of a uh, out of a scrape it can cause you to freeze so that an animal can't pick up on you it can cause you to run faster than you've ever run before you know you hear about mothers who lift yeah. the car off that's collapsed on their husband kind of thing. you get but it's only good for five <laughs> minutes and and then it, it it then you know it takes a toll yeah. on the body but most of the stress reactions it's it's, a, it's called a stress stress reaction but most of the stress reactions modern human beings have are caused by thoughts they think their way into and to to perceiving an emergency that's often not even there and our brain that two-year-old part of our brain um, it can't tell the difference between a real and present danger and one that we make up in our head and so if we create enough emotional valence around the way we're thinking about a situation that's that we're allowing to scare us our brain's going to set off a stress reaction and it won't be as strong as that superman superwoman stress reaction but it will uh, release a surge of stress hormones and these stress hormones have a, a a kind of vicious effect on us what they do is these stress hormones are like a wonderful cocktail for the emotional brain for the fear center of the brain and so the more you're stressing based on your own emotional reactions and your mind-made emergencies kinds of things you know the more you do that the more you're releasing these stress hormones the more they're fortifying the fear reaction it's called yeah. fear conditioning and and at the same time, while they're they're um, they're expanding those parts of the brain, it's actually called sprouting, the the neurological term. As they're sprouting more and more of those those uh, networks, it's actually shrinking the higher networks, the networks of the prefrontal cortex, the networks that um, make a Michelangelo. The networks that also connect with the right hemisphere of the brain to make you highly creative and a creative problem solver. Um, that, and on top of all of that, these stress hormones also affect your DNA. They affect your chromosomes. There's a, your chromosomes are held together by a little cap and that's called a telomere and it's like a cap on the end of a, of a shoelace, oh, you know, yeah. to keep your shoelaces from coming apart. Well, your your chromosomes are spiraled and so this cap keeps them in place and they and when they're like that they put out healthy uh, cells to repair your body uh, to slow down the aging process to keep you young this they if they're anything they are a fountain of youth well stress hormones cause those to to um, degrade and they come apart and they start putting out abnormal cells and 
um, those abnormal cells turn into cancer and they prematurely age us. That's why if you've seen somebody who's been stressed for a long time, like the pr pictures of the yeah. president of the United States yep. before and after, you see a, an enormous amount of aging that's taken place in that face. Well, that's why. It's because of the, what's happened with the chromosomes. The stress hormones have, have debilitated his, his ability to put out healthy, healthy cells. Uh, this was discovered by Elizabeth Blackburn. She yeah. won the Nobel Prize uh, in medicine for it. So that's the issue. The issue is we think our way into all kinds of stress reactions that set off these, these huge reactions within our body. And they're the source of what makes our life miserable. You know, they did a study uh, just to, to underline how, how powerful our thoughts are in, in generating our suffering is they did this study at Cornell where they had people write down their worries over a protracted period of time. And um, then they had them go back and determine which of their worries did not happen. You know, was wasted emotional energy spent on them. And they found that 85% of what, what those people in the study, it was a large study, 85% uh, of what they worried about did not happen. And of the 15% where it was determined they did happen, you know, what they were worried about actually ended up happening, 79% of the people reported they actually found they could handle the situation fine. They resolved it. They moved beyond it. So when you do the math on, on those two uh, figures, you find that 97% of the time those people were worried and stressed and fearful and anxious. Yeah. There was nothing to worry about. They were fine. Yeah. All is well. You know, all was well except their thought process. And so... What DeMello is telling us in his book, Stop Fixing Yourself, you've got to get in touch with that. You've got to get in touch with the way in which you've been programmed to paint yourself into a worried corner from which when you look out at the world, you see a threatening world. And to begin to deconstruct it through awareness to, to the point that you've, you begin to realize it's actually not, it, actually not there. this threatening world I see is actually not there. It's here. It's in my head. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's based on, on, on this theory. So we want, you know, we were using the metaphor of, the, of a veil. So we want to, how do I get that veil to drop? Well, I got to become a, a, a yep. aware of what constitutes that, that veil. And that means awareness. You know, what you are aware of, you control. And what you're unaware of controls you. So... Again, it's enough for you to simply be watchful in a way and through all and, uh, and aware and through all of that, that neurotic part of you will begin to quiet down. Awareness allows you to see and feel what's going on inside of you that really sabotages your fulfillment, sabotages your happiness. You know, the negativity, the, the upsets, the pessimism, the aggression, the competitiveness, uh, the shame, the, the, the unworthiness. So the first thing you need to do is to yeah. get in touch with those negative feelings that you're usually not aware of or that you tend to push away or you tend to repress in some way. And, you know, what negative feelings? Well, I'm, I'm, I have heard feelings. Somebody said something that I took as an insult. Or you're feeling nervous or tense uh, about, about something you're trying to achieve it. Or maybe you're feeling gloomy or moody, or maybe you're feeling sh shame. Maybe it's as strong as 
feeling self-hatred. So you just, you, you have, it, it takes a, a, a degree of courage to feel what you're feeling and really to let yourself feel it. And the second step is to acknowledge that this negative feeling, this upset, is in me, not necessarily in reality. You know, just think about that Cornell study. It's a very important step. So now you're allowing yourself to be in touch with those negative feelings. You're letting the, the torment that they cause in you to be felt. And you're acknowledging to yourself, this is happening in me, not necessarily in reality. And uh, you, re you really try to get that. You, you, you really work at understanding that. And eventually you will, because it's self-evident. It's happening in you. And the other thing you begin to get is that I have a question for it's you also quick. it's not happening to you. It's actually happening for you. It's trying to wake you up. Right. And so that, that's, that's the second step, you know, acknowledging it's in me. And the third step is don't identify. Well, quick, quick, quick question before you go to the third. I, I want to, for people that are listening, they're like, okay, well, that sounds really easy. But, you know, getting in touch with the negative feelings that you're working to push down, I mean, how do you know How do you know that they're not real? Like going back to that Cornell study, I mean, I bet you it was more than 97% of the time it was not, not based in any reality. How do you know if something is based in reality when every bit of your fiber inside of you makes you feel like this is dead reality? But you know, but there's no evidence to prove it. It's all manufactured in the brain. How do you separate that, or how, what, what exercise or or thing can someone do to get a handle on reality? Well, like real evidence. My um, my suggestion is uh, just just acknowledge, just open your open up to the possibility that this <laughs> negative feeling, this fear that you're having, is in you. Is not necessarily in reality. If you want some evidence-based, then remember that Cornell program. It won't help you to analyze it at all. It's not about analyzing it. it, it, it the more you analyze it, uh, the more confused you're going to get, the more anxious you're going to get. So just, just open yeah. up to the possibility that this might be true. You know, I'm going to test it. I'm going to see if this is true for me. And I guarantee you, you'll find that uh, 97% of the time it is true that this is happening in you and not in reality. And, uh, you know, this is where what I meant when I said sometimes people haven't suffered enough. Um, because, you know, they, 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 they haven't suffered to the point that they, they are asking that there must be another way I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try a different way of approaching it. And yeah, um, and that's that's what I would uh, suggest people do. You know, um, a great example of this is is how I came into this field of of um, psychospirituality. I came into it the hard way. Uh, I came to this work um, in out of desperation. You know, years ago I experienced what uh, you might call a perfect storm of stress. And I, I had uh, lost an executive position at Stanford mm -hmm. University Medical School that, you know, I devoted uh, uh, two decades climbing the career ladder to reach. And, um, and I got fired. I was a chief executive of the largest department at Stanford University, the Department of Medicine. 
and the chairman of the department and I, we banged heads. You know, I was a young Turk in those days, and he, he was a... He, 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 he wasn't a lot of fun to work yeah. with either. And um, after two years, he'd had enough and he had the power, so he fired me. And I was married with four kids and a mortgage and making a good salary, a really big salary. Mm. I, couldn't, I couldn't get along without that salary. I mean, it was a, a catastrophe. And then nine days after getting fired, yeah. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that the doctors warned was going to leave me seriously disabled, maybe even potentially unable to ever work again because of the collateral damage that could be caused by the surgery. And so, you know, suddenly, you know, my life was coming apart at the seams. And like you say, well, all the evidence seems to point to that I was screwed, right? And um, it turned out that I had six weeks uh before the before they could schedule the surgery, the tumor was slow growing, so that was okay, and so I was relieved. You know, I, I wasn't anxious to have somebody drill a hole in my head and fool around with my brain. But the one thing I, you know, <laughs> right. underestimated was I also had six weeks to sit around and ruminate, and I was, uh, and I was completely unaware of yeah. the amount of fear that I was habitually running in my life, and. Um, you know, I thought fear protected me. You know, I thought when I was paranoid about how somebody else was behaving towards me, that that paranoia was actually reality. It wasn't some misperception on my part. I never asked myself that. You know, I was aggressive. So, of course, ruminating every night, I would wake sure. up at three o'clock in the morning and stare out the window into the cold, dark night, terrified that what might happen to me. And, and my family was was going to be dire. We were going to be homeless. Um, and then one night, after two weeks of suffering this horror, this terror, I reached this point where I, I actually asked yeah. myself in a kind of quiet moment, um, which was worse, you know, the dire problems that the doctors predicted that might happen to me in the future or the abject fear that was happening in me every day, all day long for the last two weeks. And the answer was clear. The fear was worse. You know, the bone chilling fear I experienced, yeah. it was consuming me. You know, it was depleting the strength I knew I needed to get, get through this crisis. And so for the next half hour, I used a process very similar to the one uh, that, that I'm describing here, an awareness process. I'd actually learned it from uh, Carl Rogers, a famous American psychologist and who was also a mentor of uh, Tony DeMello. And um, it, it, was, it's, it was exactly what I'm talking about here. It was to be aware of every fearful, painful thing I was thinking and be willing to really feel it and observe the thoughts that were driving my emotional reaction, seeing them as in me, not necessarily in reality, owning them, you know, this is, this is my, the way my brain's working right now. And, um, and to step back from it and really look at it. And eventually what happened is the fear passed. And it, 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 it kind of surprised me because it, <laughs> the, here I was in this turmoil, allowing it, uh, taking responsibility from it, observing it, you know, seeing how it was, how the thoughts were turning into the upset. And, and then suddenly, uh, grad, I guess gradually, 
um, everything cleared because the fear passed. Everything, and, and I discovered the, a, a truth that, every, Dissipate, that yeah. my grandmother told me: everything passes, especially emotions. And here I was, elevated right. automatically without anything that I had done other than to be aware into this space, where for the first time in two weeks, I, I felt I felt at peace. I felt, uh, I, and this feeling of peace. The more I relaxed into it and let my mind get quiet began to turn into a feeling of optimism. And so for the next hour, you know, fears would come up. I would process them in this way. And at the end of that hour, I made up my mind right then and there that as I approached the surgery, I had four more weeks before the surgeries, I approached that I was going to let go of fear in this very simple way of awareness. Every time it raised its ugly head, I, I was going to let go of it in this way. And and I began to to get liberated from it, um, and I I was by the time I reported for surgery, I was kind of in a state of bliss. And one of the things I had to do with my job uh, to get my golden parachute is I had to report in over that period of time and finish a project only I could finish, and I was way nicer to people. You know, I, I I wasn't letting my misperceptions <laughs> right. drive the way I related to people. Um, and then when I reported for the surgery, the surgery turned out to be a complete success. In fact, um, it was it was um, it was presented at Grand Rounds at Stanford. And, um, you know, if neuroscience knew back then what they they know now, they would have told me that that shift in attitude that I had experienced, that shift from from allowing the processing the fear through awareness that led to this quieter place inside of me that widened my perspective and opened up a more optimistic attitude, that that very process create created the mind body connection, that um, that in almost invariably promotes a positive outcome medically, physically, and that's what happened to me. And not only that, yeah. I, got my, I got my job back. I didn't get my job back in um, in uh, oh, wow. medicine, but uh, another job in the Department of Psychiatry in Stanford was one of the great had one of the great psychiatry departments in the in the world. Uh, the the chairman yeah. of the department over there had heard about this guy who got fired, who got a brain tumor, and that everybody was marveling at that had this wonderful attitude. And he called me in and he said. I, my position, my, CE, my COO is open. I want you to come in because we need an attitude like yours in this godforsaken department. And uh, <laughs> all of that, none of that would have happened if I hadn't embraced no. the fear that I was in. I didn't put, it wasn't a matter of pushing it away. It wasn't a matter of trying to talk myself into uh, making the, the situation look Pollyannic. I looked straight into that veil and just simply by embracing it, uh, by under, coming to understand how my thoughts were generating the suffering that I was in and that it was generating the, the uh, it was depleting my emotional energy, my physical energy I needed for this uh, sure. to succeed at what I wanted to succeed at, you know, at my, in terms of my health, that just by doing that, I, it produced that outcome, and it would not have happened if I hadn't been courageous enough 
to embrace it. And I probably wouldn't have been courageous enough to embrace it if, you know, the the world didn't have me in a <laughs> full melted arm lock. And, and I was willing to say, uncle, okay, there must be another way than fear. Right. So that makes sense that for people that continue to perpetuate the, the, the drama, the trauma, the, the stuff in their head and ruminating it, they just haven't hit low enough. So is the key that you got to hit low enough or can you stop it? I have two questions there. I have like 5 million questions for you, but um, I, I got to watch our time and I want to be sure. purposeful with the way that we're staggering these. So is there a, do you have to hit rock bottom? You have to get fired from a prestigious job, making a ton of money as the provider and have a brain tumor. Um, and and th that's the first part. And the second part is where does, where does anxiety and depression clinically, you know, from that, you know, obviously you were living in that world at that point um, in the psychology department, where does, where does depression and anxiety actually, what is that actually? And, and is it, is there a reality to it? Because I'm sure that once you freed yourself and made these new decisions based on the way you were going to process thoughts, anxiety and depression lifted and became non-existent. I'm guessing, but I want you to I want you to give us your take on those two very rampant problems in our society that are heavily medicated. Probably some of the easiest to medicate. Yeah, they're very heavily medicated. That's for sure. Um, well, in yeah. terms of, do you need to hit rock bottom? Uh, before you begin to rise, the only answer I can give you to that is uh, if you if you were as stubborn as I am, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up cool. in a family uh, with a stepfather who was brutal, and he, he brutalized me and my brothers, and uh, and he also pounded into our heads that we were worthless until it reached the point that mm. we were. And so I headed out in life uh, with, with, you know, rage. I headed out in life um, wanting to prove myself. I was going to prove myself to uh, of my worth to people no matter what. And I didn't see that as, uh, as I, w I was operating from trying to compensate for something that was unhealed inside of me, you know. And so, uh, and so I've, I, given that kind of programming that went on inside of me um, and that launched me out into the world, um, it was going to take running into a brick wall for me to step back and take <laughs> a real honest look at myself. And the only, and, the, and what I mean by an honest look at myself is to look at that veil, to look at the thoughts that I think that were programmed into me uh, that trauma programmed into me, that essentially boiled down to my worthlessness, you know, and that out of that worthlessness, it, that produced the, this this huge motivation to succeed, which um, produced the fear of failing, operating from the fear of failing, you know, that's that was part of the veil, and it, so I had to watch how those thoughts turned into the emotional suffering that I was in, turned into the projections I was making onto other people and onto life itself. And to, and to begin to understand that I'm not to blame for the way I, I was programmed, but I'm responsible for changing it. No. And the way in which I change it yeah. here 
begins with feeling, feeling it, uh, identifying it, and um, and then moving to that third step, which in which you know you um, you know you say you know it's like we say to ourselves, I am depressed, right? I am afraid. I am worthless. Well, you know the the critical part of that statement is I am. And that goes into your brain, mm-hmm. and the brain believes you. You know, if you, if you say it's, you say something. Yeah, you know, it's it okay. You're, I am depressed. Yeah. You're not depressed. You're having an emotional experience called depression. And so, the important step in in as you go through the awareness process is not to to identify with the emotion, to allow yourself to feel it, allow it to come up, to deconstruct it, to see the thoughts you're thinking that are producing it. To tell yourself it's happening in the yeah, do all of that, but don't end up saying, I'm afraid, I'm a failure, I'm inadequate, I'm, you know, that kind of thing. You can say, my experience right now is fear. You know, my experience right now is depression. That's fine. Uh, if you want to just say, fear is there. Identify it as, as something over there that doesn't define you, you, you know, because... When you say, I'm afraid, you're defining yourself in terms of that feeling. And that's your illusion. That's your mistake. Uh, in no way does that feeling affect your essential self. One of the great things Namelo gives us as a metaphor, he says, it's like when you throw black paint up into the air. The air remains uncontaminated. You know, you never color the air black. You know, it falls to the ground, splashes right. around your feet. Um, and no matter... What happens to you emotionally, these emotions that come up and that are triggered by outside events, no matter what happens, you remain uncontaminated. Your true self, your pure heart is always there. So there's depression there right now. There's worry there right now. But let it be. Leave it alone. Understand the thoughts that are generating it. It will pass. Everything passes, especially emotions. And be sure to observe this whole process you're going through, this awareness process, without judge. Do it non-judgmentally. Don't judge yourself for it. In fact, if you do, if you say like, oh, look, I can't believe I'm feeling this again, um, understand, just be aware of that. Be aware that you're, be aware of the inadequate, the thoughts that you you are having about your inadequacy that's turning into your feelings of inadequacy and just process it, let it come into awareness. And, you know, and remember, everything passes. And when it does pass, relax into that moment where, my God, it's gone and I'm still here. Now you're free. This is a moment of freedom. Right here, right now, in the present moment, there is always freedom. If you can, if you can get here, in the in, in the future, when you think about the future, you think about the past. There's no freedom there. You feel, you're getting your mind's getting locked in to misperceptions you have about yourself and your life. But right here, right now, in this moment, when th- that anxiety you you were suffering under passes, you're free. So relax into the in feeling free. Let your mind be quiet a moment. And then what you will observe is that feelings of peace, being at peace with yourself, at peace with whatever it is you're confronted with. And then right behind that, a feeling of happiness will begin to arise, and they arise all by themselves. And that's fulfillment. 
That's the only fulfillment that there is. And it doesn't come from outside you. It's your natural state. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the way your, uh, your brain has been wired to block. And as you do this, as you go through this awareness process, the things that no longer serve you, the fears that no longer serve you, they will drop. And the fears that, mm -hmm. that hang around, um, you, can, you can approach them with, a, with an aware, open attitude of they're still here because they still have something to teach me. So bring, so work with them, bring them in, bring them in yeah. into your awareness. Um, and, you know, to answer your question about, about um, anxiety uh, and depression, um, anxiety comes from a, a sense of threat. So yeah. the question you, one should ask themselves uh, when they're stressing is what am I afraid of? And if you, if you do that, uh, you go through you go through each of these fear you you'll you'll see a cascade of fears that begin to show up and with each one that shows up you keep asking yourself what am i afraid of and when you get down to the bottom of it you you'll find the 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 last thing that you're afraid of is is rather insane you know i did this with a a yeah. little lawyer you know he was losing a case what what are you afraid of afraid of losing this case and if you lose this case, what are you afraid of? I'll lose my reputation. If you lose your reputation, what are you afraid of? They'll fire me from my job. If they fire you from your job, what are you afraid of? And then he suddenly said, I see myself pushing a shopping cart down Main Street. I'm homeless. You know, I'm on the street. Everybody ends up in that place because that's the primal fear that you'll be cast out, you know? And so, yeah. but then you come back in and it says, have you lost the case yet? Let's let's look at reality. Reality is often kinder than the thing you're making up in your head. And when we looked at it, have you lost the case yet? No. Is there a chance you could win? Well, yes, of course. You know, it, are you going to lose your reputation with your clients if you lose this case? No, they probably won't even find out. Are you going to lose your job? Then what he tells me is, no, they're making me partner. And it's amazing how far our fear travels. We they travels right past. Uh, the facts, you know, and yeah, I said, are you, totally. ever, are you in danger of being homeless? And he says, no, I've invested my money really well. And all of this was costing him at the level of his happiness and at the level of his performance in, in that courtroom. Um, and so that's that that's where fear comes from. It, it's coming. We think our way into these fear reactions. And depression is when we stress ourselves long enough, the whole emotional system bottoms out. The whole biochemistry yeah. bottoms out and we're depressed. We're, we're in despair now. Well, wow, that's a lot. God, that's so. That's, that's, yeah, you know, it's um, it's so easy to comprehend from a cognitive standpoint. But from an emotional standpoint and the traumas and the, all the stuff in our brains, it, it is like I've been a coach of personal development for like seven years. And even when you're saying that, my brain's like, I don't, I don't know if all that's true. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's our train. That's the, that's the training we've done. Like, what are you nuts? What are you, come on, stop it. Like, and so, so the question that I have, and I, I'm going to ask you this one, one last question is, um, is a, the, the fear of success isn't really a thing. It's the fear of sustainability and 
consistency, like you talked about a little earlier, and I wanted to, I wanted to take us back to this. So somebody might be able to do this in the moment, but when I was going through what I was going through in, in all of my businesses and, and like just, you know, the, the turmoil inside, it wasn't about getting myself out of it in that moment. It was that it was going to get stronger and harder as I um, learned more about it. It was going to strengthen. The storm was going to pick up speed. And then every day I was going to fight a different, bigger, stronger, scarier monster. And how the hell was I going to pull this off for the rest of my life? That piece was the part that scared the yeah. living hell out of me every day. The sustainability and the consistency of uh, uh, sustainability of the of the uh, of the results and the consistency of my activities. And I was like, the other part was, well, I have a lot of other stuff to do. How, how am I going to manage all this? And it's not even real. It's just in my head, and I, I'm fighting a war inside my head while I'm fighting for my business and my money and my family outside. Like I, I felt like I was going sure. crazy. So just touch on real quick about sustainability and consistency in, in the work inside and the results outside. Well, you know, I mean, it's a fear of failure. It's a big thing. You know, it's a very, very strong yeah. fear in America. It, it's a fear of failure. And, um, you know, we, we believe, you know, we are programmed to believe that, uh, we're here to conquer the world. And if we conquer the world, um, we'll be okay. And so we have these false beliefs uh, about that. And, you know, one of the things, a situation like you, if I was coaching you at that time of your life, one of the things I would have asked you to do is to write down your attachments. And the way I would have you write down your attachments, and I invite everybody listening to do this, is to write up the top of a piece of paper, I cannot be happy until. Because everything we're doing, you know, from the heart place, we're doing to find happiness. We're, you know, we want happiness. If, if you look at, if you have children, you know, any parent who loves their children, the number one thing they want for their child is happiness. What's well, the number one thing God wants for you? It's the number one thing the universe wants for you. And the, uh, the odd part about it is you, you really have it already, but you get lost in these attachments that are, that are, that are defining, that they def, that you allow them to define who you are. And if you and if you don't achieve them, then you're nobody, kind of a thing. And so you write at the top of the page, um, I I cannot be happy unless or until. And so when you know when I do this exercise with people, sometimes the first thing people will write is, I cannot be happy till I'm out of debt. I cannot be happy until I make that sale. I cannot be happy until I'm the top salesman. I cannot be happy until my spouse admits that I'm right and he or she is wrong, you know. But when I have people do this, I cannot be happy until unless they they end up with a, a long list pretty fast, you know. We because because they are things yeah. that are working them in a kind of vicious way. And then at the end of doing it, I tell them look at the look at that list and what you will that what you will be holding is the reason you're suffering. And it's a and you're suffering. What are you suffering from? You're suffering from a false belief. There is not the truth. Is you are happy. You, you don't have to do anything to be happy. You're happy already. There's not a single moment in your life, as I said before, when you do not have everything that you need to be happy. 
And think about that for a minute. The reason that you're unhappy is you're focusing on what you don't have or what you're trying to keep rather than on what you have right now. And the second false belief that we suffer under is that happiness is out there in the future. And that's not true either. Right, right here, oh, yeah, right yeah. now is where you're going to find your happiness. Right here, right now, you are happy. If you could get really fully present in this moment, um, and but you don't know it. Because your false beliefs about the future have distorted your perception. Um, and so, you know, you, you get caught up in fears and anxieties and attachments and conflicts, guilt, a host of games that you end up playing, trying to, trying to hang on to your games, your games, you know. And, and then, you know, there's the belief that if all your desires, all these desires that you have here, all these attachments you have here were fulfilled, then you'll finally be happy. And in fact, it's these very desires and attachments that are making you tense and frustrated and nervous and insecure and overwhelmed like you like you were describing. You know, you'd sit in the car and start crying. And you look at your right. list of attachments and desires you should say to each one of them, deep down in my heart, I know that even after I have gotten you, I it's no guarantee I'm going to be happy. And you ponder that truth. Right. You know, if I get if I could if I could only get a doctor to grow hair where my baldness is, if my boss would only appreciate me, if now now you, you suddenly you don't need to move from this job to that job, this neighborhood to that neighborhood, this relationship, this love relationship to that relationship. You know, you're chasing these things because you're you're kind of insane. But if you admit that to yourself, deep down inside of me, I know that even after I got what's on this list, it won't, won't give me happiness. Only I can give myself happiness. That's where that's coming from. So attachment, you know, attachment is is an emotional state of clinging to the belief that without something or some result or some person, you cannot be happy. And at some point today, you know, I invite your listeners to write down those those attachments, that, uh, you know, starting with I cannot be happy unless until it's really eye opening. Yeah, and I I want to, I mean I need to go uh, I need to go reset my brain. This is this is a very very powerful um, hour of content. I mean I I I mean I, look look at this. Those are my notes. <laughs> like it's it's just crazy, and it's my show. <laughs> I could, I, but listen, you, later I, on I, when you when you pick up your notes and look at them, I invite you to throw yeah. them away and just sit back and be quiet. In, in your own being and notice that everything that you want is inside of you. It's already there. Sure. Sure. Well, remember though, I'm taking notes for the show. <laughs> I'm taking notes to, to make sure that I have like timestamps for my editors to, uh, to like, Hey, to, make sure you pull this, pull this, pull this clip, pull that clip, pull that clip, pull that clip. Um, and I, and I want to write it at the time that my brain. I'm honored that you yeah, no, I'm serious. This has been a, this has been a real, um, and it's interesting because I actually, on this platform, I have audience members watching us and listening to us, but they're not in here with us like a Zoom room. They're just on. And, uh, and they were texting me like, wow, this is, this is incredible stuff. And it is. You're, you're so 
succinct. I, I knew the moment I read your bio and your, your one sheet, I, I, I'm telling you, I think I may have taken three seconds. But the way that the words were written and the way that the, the people who brought you to me pitched it, it was like, yep, yeah, yeah. I think I literally wrote, yes, yes, yes. Let's go now. Let's book him now. So I, and, and I'm, I'm so excited for the audience that you, you delivered way more than I thought you would. And I thought you were going to deliver amazing. You delivered like truly amazing, oh, okay. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the nth degree is. So thank you, hey, Don, you know, for, for being on here. Is even more succinct, even more to the point than uh, I'm just reflecting what this book helped me find my way to, yeah. you know. So I really encourage well, let's, people to get it. And it's on sale right now, actually, at Amazon. Beautiful. So let's remind people, where, where can they find you and where can they find the book? So the, the book is Stop Fixing Yourself by Anthony DeMillo. Yes. DeMillo. D-I and then M-E-L-L-O. And it's on sale at Amazon. And where can they get more information about you? Uh, they can get more information about me at uh, DeMelloCenter.com. Um, if they if they type stopfixingyourself.com into their browser, it'll go to a page at our website, and at that page they can choose Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you know, various book vendors where they can buy it. But if if they access it that way, then uh, we give them a free gift, which is a um, six part uh, workshop that Anthony Demello delivered at Fordham University back in 1987 and um, it's a powerful experience you know DeMello his the books that he wrote back then you know we're talking what 30 34 years ago and he yeah. his books are still international bestsellers and uh, Eckhart Tolle was deeply influenced by DeMello's work so, so oh, Thomas right, Moore, right, so right. I just uh, DeMello is is in so many ways a forerunner of a lot of things that we take for granted now uh, he brought forward initially and he he was one of the first to bring uh eastern and western spiritual thought together um you know he, he and thomas merton very famous for having done that both br brilliant men both jesuit priests you know the jesuits are the intelligentsia of of uh, Christianity, Saint Ignatius, yep. all that. Well, DeMello brought in Buddhism and Hinduism and merged it with Christianity and Judaism, and uh, in in ways that you don't even identify the Buddhism that might be there. You don't even identify the Christianity there. He made it. He got it down to its most elemental unit. So that we could understand yeah. it. And, you know, if you read the comments that DeMello, that people leave of, on reading the book Awareness that, that he wrote, they say, he, the confu my confusion is gone. It's, he's lifted me out of the confusion. I understand what's been going on in me in ways I never understood before. And that's the impact DeMello had on me. And I think he has worldwide. I think his book was, it's 4.7 at Amazon out of 5.0. And, yeah. you know, that that's actually higher than the movie The Godfather got. The <laughs> <laughs> so, Mellow would have won an Academy Award if this book was a movie. <laughs> that's right. Well, Don, I, I really uh, I, I'm excited in all honesty to read this book. I'm buying it now because your your uh, 
your take through this thing has been uh, really eye-opening. And this is my profession too, not just podcasting, but personal development and getting people out of their own way. And 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 so thank you, you, you for uh, work. I I spent some time on your thank website, you. and uh, my hats off to you. You do wonderful work. Oh, thanks, man. And thank you for thank this, you. this platform that brings so many wonderful people that people wouldn't wouldn't hear from if it wasn't for you. And your participation well, today that. was fabulous. We, it was a oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, look, it, this is not a job for me. This isn't a. This isn't like. I, I have a lot of fun doing this, but this isn't just something that I do to promote my brand. This is something I love to do, and if it promotes my brand, then that's awesome. And if it doesn't, that's fine. I'm, I'm very at peace. And fulfilled by like this hour talking to you, knowing that I know at least one guy who already texted me, who was listening on the audience, who said, mind blown. <laughs> I'm already fulfilled and I'm already at peace with that and happy about that. So that. there's going to be tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people as we continue to grow this podcast. I mean, we're already top 1%. We're going for top 1% of 1%. I want, I want, uh, I want Joe Rogan territory for this. And I think that we're so aligned in our messaging that like having guys like you on, how can I not sit here and be, and be like awed and, and, and just enamored and, and just soaking this up. And I'm the guy that's facilitating this. That's like the ultimate. So I really appreciate yeah. those kind words. Really appreciate you know, that. What, what, I love that about him saying it was mind blowing. What we are is, is incredible when we blow our minds. When we just kind of blow it all out, blow all that programming, mm -hmm. all those false beliefs that that the whole society is functioning on, and come and meet ourselves. You know, the, the Course in Miracle calls calls about to come with open mind, uh, open heart, and a quiet mind to yeah. meet ourselves. The Mellow talk calls it coming home to yourself. Coming yeah. home to yourself is mind blowing. Had no idea I was such a such a wonderful thing. <laughs> I had no idea it was beautiful. Yeah. But just just to be yourself, to be when you when you take a moment to feel how beautiful you really are and just simply say, I am. And forget about, you know, that stuff that says, uh, I'd be better if 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 I could get this. You know, drop all that and just say, I am. Yeah. I am. And what begins to arise is this wonderful feeling. And that feeling is your soul. That feeling is your spirit. And surrender to it. It'll take yeah. you far. No, it's beautiful stuff, man. Well, look, I'm going to, I'm going to, I could talk to you for like three hours. My, my editors insist that I keep these two under an hour, which we're way past that now. But so Don, thank you so much for being here. Everybody, you can find Don at stopfixingyourself.com. Stop Fixing Yourself is the book. And listen, as always, I appreciate you listening and we'll catch you on the next one.